Welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church. We are delighted you have chosen to listen in today. It's our hope the message of Jesus will continue to spread and bear fruit, both in your life and the world around us. For more digital content, feel free to check us out on the web at calvarybcmoultrie.com. And now for today's message. So as I talked about uh, earlier, so we're in the middle of uh, a short little sermon uh, series called Recess. Uh, It's very, very, very short. We just came out of Galatians. And one of the reasons we called it Recess is because, one, that was like my favorite subject in school. Like, the cool thing about Recess is everyone always passed. Like, it didn't matter, like, how smart you were or what, how athletic you were. Everybody passed Recess. Like, there's no, no problem there. But one of the ideas, one of the things that that was so cool about recess is because it was a break from, like, everyday stuff in the classroom. And then you got to go outside, throw the football around, play around. And it's so interesting. I think when many of us think of, let's say, God in the Bible, what we don't think of is anything that is actually, like, pleasurable, enjoyable, relaxed. Like, we don't think that. I think there's some good reasons for that, and there's also some bad reasons for that. Like I said last week... Josh actually talked us through the importance of rest in the life of a Christian. Like, God has actually called us not just to work, 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 until we fall down, right? But there's times where we actually take rest, where we actually say, God, you are on the throne of this world, and if I stop, the world will keep going. And that whenever we don't rest, whenever we don't stop, and whenever we don't do this, what we're actually doing is we're functionally kicking God off of his throne. And believing that we're actually, the world, it can't survive unless we're working, unless we're making money. And one of the things that we saw is that actually devastates us, it devastates our families, it devastates our lives. And it makes us view God with almost a very suspicious eye because we wrongly think that he's constantly having us do things, do things, do things, do things. But today, I get this one. So, um... The name of what um, I don't ever like name my sermons. Uh, this like, I just don't. Um, I actually named one this today, and uh, it says this: "It's uh, God loves a party, and so should we." Now, God loves a party, and so should we. The God loves to party, and so should we. Now, here's the thing: I totally know the baggage that's associated with that word. There's those of you, all right. Just want to address this real fast. We've talked about this a little bit before. When you think of God, you don't think of like, you, you think of serious. You think of absolutely, is God serious? Yes, he is. Serious about a lot of things. He's serious about sin. He's serious about how he pursues his people. But that's not all that he is. So we see that he, that he is serious. That's true. Some of you might be objecting in your mind. Oh, no way. He, he is serious. He has no time to party. He has no, no way. And we would say, wait, just hold up. When other of you hear the word party, what you think of is like your college days, like someone running around with like a lampshade on their head, like at like a party. That's what you're thinking of, right? And that's not what I'm talking about either. I think many times when the world probably hears the word party, what they think of, all right? It's like everybody gathered in a room. Everybody just completely intoxicated. Um, some people just passed out. Here's the thing. I'm going to tell, I'm going to make an argument today that that is actually like a knockoff of a party. That has good aspects of a party, except it's not. If you have to go to a party and you're worried about someone slipping something into your drink, I'm going to tell you this. You ain't at a party. If you're at a party and you have to worry about some guy or some girl taking advantage of you after you've had too many drinks, let me encourage you this. You're not at a party. There's nothing good that you're at there. But one of the things I think that we're going to see today is that one, both God loves parties and he loves his people to be a partying people. Not like how we normally hear the word. Some of you are like, David, that is a pretty audacious claim. How in the world are you going to do that? I'm actually going to prove it to you this morning, all right? And I'm going to do it out of the most, what many people think of as the most boring book of the Bible. All right, you ready for that? All right? And here's what I want, here's what I'm, here's what I'm hoping today. I'm here hoping that whenever you walk out of here today, here's what I, I'm, I'm hoping, that your view of God is actually going to be completely transformed from how you actually walked in here viewing him. 
So let's do this. Remember, keep your finger there in Isaiah. We'll be back there. I hate flipping around, all right? Um, we're going to have that one up on the screen too. But go ahead. Keep your finger there. Turn to the book of Leviticus. That is the fourth book, of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. That is the third book of the Bible. Leviticus chapter 23. And that's where we're going to be reading. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read a couple verses out loud before that. You don't have to do this if you want, all right? You just stay right there in 23. You don't have to follow along with what I'm doing, all right? Leviticus chapter 23. And what I'm going to do is today I'm going to start off by reading the first couple verses of Leviticus chapter 1. Okay? So you can listen to these. Go ahead, keep parked there in 23. We're going to get there. So Leviticus chapter 1 says this. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When any one of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of livestock from the herd or from the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it at the entrance of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted by the Lord. Immediately, you're probably heard that and you're wondering, David, what does that actually have to do with God throwing parties, us throwing parties? Here's what I'm telling you. It actually has nothing to do with it. Whenever we typically, whenever maybe you hear the book of Leviticus, maybe you've been in church for a while, you think of like commands, rules, boring, boring, like like all these things that don't apply to life. And you know what? Maybe if you flip through the book of Leviticus, you might think you you might think, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm right in thinking that. Chapter 2, it's laws about grain offerings. Chapter 4, laws about sin offerings. Chapter 6, appointment of Aaron. Chapter 7, consecration. Chapter 10, chapter 11, clean and unclean animals. Chapter 12, purification after childbirth. Chapter 13, laws of leprosy. Chapter 14, cleansing laws of leprosy. Chapter 15, laws about bodily discharges. That sounds gross. Chapter 16, day of atonement. Chapter 18, unlawful sexual relations. That sounds interesting. And you're wondering, what in the world does all these things have to do with God? Like all these things that seem like like, like randomness. What what does all this have to do with God? What, what, What in the world is Leviticus doing? And one of the things that we see right away that Leviticus is doing, right? What God is doing, he's touching all these different areas of life that you seem disconnected. But one of the things that if you begin to read Leviticus, as you begin to realize, is that what God is showing these people is that their godliness must touch every area of their life. It just can't touch your Sundays. It just can't touch your business. It just can't touch. No, it, it, it touches the way we think about sex. It touches touches the way we think about marriage, about the way that we think about children. It touches every aspect of us. And you hear all these rules, all these rules, all these rules. And then we get to chapter 23. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. Chapter 23, verses 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel. And say to them, these are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations, if your Bible says that. Another word for big, big, big gatherings. Holy convocations, they are my appointed feasts. So all of a sudden you've got what appears to be rule, 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 rule. And how does God choose to end the book with another? Here's what he says. And now what I want you to do, I want you to celebrate. I want you to throw gigantic parties. But just one party? Let's take a look. Look at verse 4 and 5. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the appointed time for them. In the first month, on the 14th day, on the month of, uh, uh, on the month, on the 14th day of the month of twilight is the Lord's Passover. Oh. So that's one feast. Verse 10. Speak to the Lord of Israel and say to them, when you come into the land, I will give you and reap its harvest. You shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the Lord. The feast of first fruits. That's two. Chapter 23. 
or verse 23. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying in the seventh month on the first day of the month, you shall observe a day of solemn rest, a memorial proclaimed with a blast of trumpets, the feast of trumpets. All of a sudden you begin to wonder how many, how many parties is he having these guys throw? Well, guess what? We ain't done it. We even skipped one. Verse 33. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying on the 15th day, on the seventh month and for the seven days is the feast of booths. Not only is this a party, it is a seven day party. Let me ask you, how many of you guys ever thrown one of those at your house? Don't happen, right? Verse 37. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as times of holy convocation, holy big meetings. For presenting to the Lord food offerings, burnt offerings, and grain offerings, sacrifices, and drink offerings, each on its proper day. So you might wonder, like, okay, what in the world is going on? We just saw a ton of feasts he just laid out. Feast of Passover, Feast of First Fruits, Feast of Weeks, Feast of Trumpets, Feast of Booths. Not even counting, like, later in the Bible, we see another feast that he gives, the Feast of Purim. And you might be wondering, David, what in the world is, what, what, what in the world is going on? Like, okay, you're showing me that God, like, likes to throw these large gatherings, these large celebrations, these large festivals, these large parties. Like, okay, like, like, uh, but that, that's great, but, um, let me ask you, like, how, how, how does that, how, how does that help me? How does that change my view of God? I was thinking this week, I was reading some articles, um, um, and one of the things that came to my brain as I was reading one, I was reading um, uh, a particular article on vices that human beings have. Uh, particular vices that actually, in many ways, destroy them. And I wonder, I, I thought for a second, like, how interesting. The reason this is important is because think about all the times that you sin. What sin does is it actually comes... And it gives you a false promise that if you believe it, it'll, it says, oh, this is going to make you truly happy. This is going to make you truly whole. This is going to make you a full woman or a full man. It comes with you with a small, uh, with, with, a, with a little, and, and what it does is it's got some pleasure to back it up. And here's the thing. In those moments, you are tempted to think, man, is God really, um, is God really here for my pleasure, for my joy? Is he really here for, for like a, the celebration of life? Is he really, really there for that? Because sin can be pretty appealing, can't it? Maybe flirting with another man's husband, or maybe an, uh, 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 another 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 lady's husband, or another uh, an, another woman's wife, can be appealing, right? Because what it feels nice, right? You feel attention. Oh wow! Like you feel paid attention to. That's what sin does. What what? It, it even backs it up. But here's the problem: What does it do? Does it actually give you the life it promised? At first, it might. You might have some flings until it totally destroys you. Think about like pornography. What does it do? It offers you what momentary pleasure, but here's what it, here's what it doesn't tell you on the front end. It doesn't tell you the kind of person it's going to make you. It doesn't tell you that what happens when you watch that on the screen, you're going to turn every woman you ever know into that person. You might even get married one day, and you're going to turn your husband or your wife into a porn star in your mind. And she's not even going to be able to deal with the expectations that you've already built up on her. Or maybe it's a lie. Because you're firmly convinced that if the truth came out... It would not be good for you. It would not be, it would not be the best thing. Therefore, you have to hide it and hide it and hide it and hide it and hide it. And you don't believe what God actually says that it's the best thing now that you bring it out into the light. This is why I say this because here, here's the thing, guys. 
as human beings, as fallen human beings, we all naturally have a natural distrust of God. We think that he's there not to, not to provide us pleasure or, or to actually give us what we need. Therefore, what we have to do is we have to go out and find out by ourselves. And one of the things that's so interesting in the book of Leviticus, he shows that God, you, you could read Leviticus and you could make the mistake of thinking that God is just about keeping a bunch of rules and then you get to the end and you see, no, this is a God who's actually, he doesn't give them rules just so that they, oh, I'm going to test you to see if you can follow, like Simon says. No, 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 no. He actually gives them these so that they would flourish and thrive and that would culminate in what? In the biggest celebrations there ever was. The God is not there to rob us of pleasure. The crazy thing is he actually gives it. Friend, maybe you're, you're here today and you, you were struggling with like, your, your, let's say you're struggling with a, a, a fight with habitual like sinful pornography. Guys, girls, maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's you today. Part of you, in the back of your mind, you don't vocalize this, but you think, man, I can't give this up because it feels like maybe, maybe so great. Let me tell you this. The pleasure that you will find in Jesus Christ is infinitely more than any screen can ever contain. That what happens, that all of us, before we came to know Christ, we naturally looked at God. Even if we looked religious, we looked at God with suspicion. Like, we would never say it out loud, but it was like, if I need, if I need to, if I need pleasure, if I need attention, what I need, I obviously need to go somewhere else to find that. And the God of the Bible says, no, I am here, man. What I will do is I will both transform you, and what I will do is I will actually make it safe for you to handle those things to begin with. So one, we see that God not only, he, 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 he not only gives a reason to celebrate. He, he tells us, he tells his people in the Old Testament to do that now. Why in the world would he, why would he tell them to celebrate? Why would he tell them to celebrate? That's a really great question. I'm glad you asked it, alright? You were asking that in your head. Why would he, why would he command his people? Why would he want his people to be the kind of people who celebrate, who throw parties, who, who are a party kind of people? Why would he do that? Here's why. Number two. Because all of history is moving towards the greatest of all parties. All history is moving towards the greatest of all parties. So what I want you to do now, I want you to flip back to Isaiah, where you had your finger, Isaiah 25. If you can't find it again, it's actually going to be up there, I think, on the board. I think Aiden's got that one. If you lost your place, if you're new. Isaiah 25, check this out. Isaiah 25, verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all the peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. Mind you, you might read that and be like, well, man, that, that sounds impressive. Okay, let me, uh, let me uh, throw you something else at you. Uh, so let me tell you this. So maybe, maybe you haven't read uh, Isaiah before. So who the book of Isaiah is written to is, is a bunch of people who are what we call exiles. They've actually a group of people who've been kicked out of their land. You might be like, David, why did they get kicked out of their land? Here's why. Because God in the Old Testament, what he did is he set out to save mankind. Save them through works in history. Ultimately, the one day would lead to Jesus. But before that came, one of the things he did is he picked one nation. And in many ways, this nation represents all of humanity. It even represents you and me in many ways. And one of the things that we see is God knows from the very beginning that these people, though that they're supposed to represent him, they will fail miserably. So God chooses this nation. He's like, here's what you're going to do. Your responsibility is to show the rest of the world my character, my kindness, my beauty, my love, my wrath, my goodness, 
my justice. And what happens, these people keep sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning until one point God says, we're done. Kicks them out of the land. A nation full of social injustice, a nation full of, 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 of wickedness, a, a literally a na- like they were supposed to represent God to the world. And guess what they did? They did the exact opposite. Why is this important? Because did you read verse 6? On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of, 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 of well-aged wine. Here's why. I'll give you an example. Um, so, uh, I'm like, uh, the girl from 27 dresses. Like, um, I've been in like a ton of weddings. Uh, I've never been married myself. Don't know what that's like. Um, but let me ask you this. So when you get married, you got groomsmen, all right? And you got bridesmaids, right? You got groomsmen and bridesmaids, all right? Let me ask you, who are usually your groomsmen and your bridesmaids? Give me an example. So one of my friends in college, his name was Matt. Uh, me and him were, uh, roommates at this time and we had a mutual friend. Uh, we, we were pretty close to him, uh, but we, we weren't like super close to him or anything like that, but we were, we were pretty close to him. I mean, um, but me and Matt, uh, we were talking one day and Matt got a call from this guy. This guy was, he was getting married. Um, like it, everybody knew about it. I mean, it was actually getting pretty close. I think it was, his wedding was like five, like five weeks away or something like that, four weeks away. And, um, my friend Matt gets a call from this guy. And, um, this guy, everything's pretty much said. He's got his groomsmen. He's got everything. He calls this guy, and um, uh, or this guy calls uh, Matt, and he says, uh, "Hey, man, um, dude, I was thinking about it, and my wedding would not be the same, like unless I think you were one of my groomsmen." And my friend Matt was like, "Oh, like I'm, I'm touched, like oh, 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 man, that's cool. Okay, oh yeah, dude, I, I accept. What, what do I need to do?" He's like, "Okay, all you got to do, you need to go to the men's warehouse down in Dothan, Alabama." Um, you give him uh, the name of the wedding and stuff like that. So Matt's like excited. He's going down there. He's driving down there. And so he gets there. All right. I think at this point, um, he was now the fifth groomsman. He would have been the fifth groomsman. Um, he walks in. He, he gives him a, he, he gives him the name of the, um, walks up to the counter. He, he's talking to the guy. The guy asks, hey, so what, what wedding are you for? He's like, okay, I'm here for the blank and blank wedding. And he's like, oh, you're, you're the free suit guy. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, I was talking to the other guy, and I was like, he's like, you have four groomsmen. That's a shame. If you had one more, your suit would have been free. And my friend was like, I feel played. (laughs) Think about it. Who's actually your groomsmen? Who's your bridesmaids? It's people who you're actually friends with, right? People who... Do you invite your enemies to be your bridesmaids? Ladies? Is that who your bridesmaids are? Guys, do you invite your enemies? Who is at God's party in Isaiah? On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. God invites his enemies to his party. But that is a picture of us. That even the best of us, who, who, who look so spotless, you could not escape his gaze. The, 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 the beauty of the Bible, what it does is it actually tells the truth about who we were. It doesn't just say, hey, I had like a lying problem. It says, no, you were a liar. It doesn't just say, hey, I I struggle with bitterness. It says, no, you actually murder people in your heart. It says, hey, I struggle with lustful thoughts. It says, the Bible says, no, you're an adulterer in your heart. That's what it says. Because it tells the truth about us, but it tells the truth about us, not so that it would condemn us, so that we could be truly set free. That the gospel is this, that guess, we the guilty... God sent his son so that he would be a substitute for us. And that he would be condemned because of what we did so that we would go free. Who does God invite to his party? He invites his enemies. 
And in the process, what he does is he takes his enemies and he makes them his friends. Friend, maybe you're here today and you, you've grown up maybe in our, like, in, in a culture that literally just kind of, like, we, we I think we're all born in, in the South kind of thinking, like, that we're just, like, born on, like, God's team, like we got the jersey. And, my friend, one of the things that we see from birth, the only jersey that we wore had on the name, on the back of it, enemy of God, and yet he had mercy on us. He had mercy on you. And if you will repent of your sins, he calls you. God invites his enemies to his party, which, let's just be honest, that's amazing, but let me, that's not even the best part. Think about it. So let's say people have wronged you, like in significant ways. What's typically the response that you give? Let's say husband, uh, let's say, um, or actually wife. So let's just say this. So the natural kind of like instinct, I think, in our culture. Let's say your husband makes you upset. What's our culture's pretty often response to that? Where's the guy go? Into the, into the doghouse, right? Into the... And it's funny because I think many times when we think of a relationship with God, we think, oh, okay, he's forgiven me, but what happens is I live in the spiritual doghouse the rest of my life. Like some of you know this because you can see it maybe in, if you maybe even look at maybe the way, let's say you pray. Oh Lord, just, just give me a, just, just, Lord, Lord, I'm sorry, give me, give me a second chance. I won't fail you this time. Dude, it was never based on your successes or failures. Oh, God, God don't, please don't give up on me this time. You think he's going to give up on you? It was never based on you. He loved you in spite of you. He loved me in spite of me. But notice what he does. Are these, are these people in the spiritual doghouse? Look at verse 6 again. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. Of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. What does he serve him at this party? Does he make him sit outside in the doghouse and slide him a bowl underneath the, underneath the, uh, underneath the fence, underneath the door? What does he serve him with? Did you catch that? The best food and the best wine. He doesn't serve them natty light. He doesn't serve them yellowtail. He serves them the best of the best of the best of the best of the best. So you know, sometimes I go up to New York and I, I eat with my brother. My brother likes really expensive places that I could never afford. Uh, I remember one place we went one time, he actually, like, we got the menu, and I was just scrolling down the list of, like, because they always bring you, like, a wine menu and stuff like that. And, like, so I'm reading, and it said, like, this wine was, like, $45 a glass. I'm like, Ugh! Like, this wine was, like, $500 a bottle. I keep scrolling down. The numbers keep getting bigger. I come down, and I see $2,500. I'm like, what is $2,500? And then I went over. Said fifty years Glenfiddich per ounce is twenty five hundred dollars. Not not for a glass, for an ounce. For those of you who maybe not be good with math, a, a twelve ounce Coke can bottle that would cost you thirty thousand dollars. Needless to say, I did not get that. Here's what God does to his enemies, what he does. He doesn't just slide a bowl under the door and say, you're in the spiritual doghouse. What he does is he brings out the vintage $2,500 stuff and he says, it's on me. That's my love for you. That as far as your sin went, my grace went further. He doesn't just... Look at you and say, oh man, now you got to spend your whole life making it back up to me. He didn't do that. 
He looks at you in love. And what he does is he pours you the best. He is not obligated to do this in any way. That this is one of the beauties of Isaiah. One of the things it's doing is it's picturing this day where God will ultimately restore his kingdom. And what he will do, he will not treat us like paupers. He would not treat us like the rebels that we are, but he would treat us as if we were perfectly obedient, as if we did everything he ever commanded us. Why? Because he's given us Jesus' life. That he pours you the fine vintage. Not the dollar store stuff. That Isaiah pictures history moving towards this great party that God will one day throw and it will be the party of all parties. It will be the party of all parties. The best thing I can compare it to is if you've ever watched like a team win the World Series or like the NBA Finals, that is what it will be like, my friend. That is what it will be like when we meet our king. And you can, you can like hear this in their voices, couldn't you? Do you see verse 9? I love this. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. That God is a God who loves to celebrate, to throw festivities, to throw parties. And what he does is he throws it for his enemies who he's made his friends. Guys, that right there is grace. That for you, out, out there, for, for you today is great news. Some of you, you might have walked in here today thinking along the lines of your, you, you gotta, you gotta clean yourself up or work off your debt before you come to God and God says, don't play that game. Your debt is more than you can ever do. Like, you can't work that off. Instead, come to my table and what I will do is I will treat you like a king. For those of you today who, 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 who may, maybe you've committed like, you know, like that sin that you never, like, even as like a kid, you're like, man, I, I mean, I'm never going to commit that. He welcomes you home. Well-behaved kid in here. He welcomes you home. Straight A, honor roll. Everybody looks at you. He welcomes you home. So why, what is God doing? We see throughout the, he's calling his people to throw parties. Why? Because all of history will culminate in a party for those who know and love him. But my friend, I also have a warning for you today. Like, let's say, friend, you're here today, and like, maybe you, you wouldn't claim to be like a follower of Jesus or anything like that. You would say, no, no, that's not really me, but I'm a pretty decent guy. One of the things that we see here is that there are people who will be shut out of this party. For those who do not repent, for those who do not turn from their way of life, it will not be a party at all. It will be like the worst night of your life every day. Magnified times a billion for eternity. Under the wrath of God and that, it doesn't have to be like that. My friend, it could, you, you could have life today. Repent from your sin. Walk away from that and walk to Jesus who is the only one who can actually truly give you life. So one, I was, all I was going to do, I'm going to give us two points today. One, God calls on his people to be the kind of people who party. Not the way the world does, but to celebrate. 
for what our God has done. And two, he does this because what? History is actually culminating in the world's largest party. Now, here's the deal. I feel like I kind of had to address this because it was just kind of like all over the texts today. So we had two points, and then what we're going to have now, we're going to have two questions. Two questions that I think some of you, you might even be having there in your seat. Okay? First question, what does food have to do with this party? What does food have to do? Like, Because one of the things you noticed is that God, over and over again through the Old Testament, we just read it in Isaiah, right? One of the things he does is he promises people food, like these feasts. Like, what role does food have to play in this? One of the things that we see throughout the Bible is that one of God's great gifts to humanity is food, that it's actually not a mistake that it tastes good. I was talking to Randy yesterday, man. That joker makes some awesome, like, barbecue. He does. I'm like, Randy, you have a gift, bro. He's like, well, like, man, I'm only good at guys cooking. I'm like, dude, that's like half the world's population. I'm like, come on, what, what are you talking about? It means you can cook for half the people in the world. But some of you guys, you're, you're good at this. Praise the Lord for you. That God gives us food, and here's what he does. And this is going to be something that, like, I'm pretty firmly convinced of this. He gives it to us to celebrate at various times. And there's going to be times where, like, that he calls us to feast and feast to feast and feast. That's right. There's going to be distinct times in my life. This is going to, you're going to, this is going to sound weird for a second. Where I'm going to intentionally overeat. That I'm going to feast So I'll give you an example. Like for me, I know these times in my life. Lewis makes fun of me all the time because he's like, David, you don't eat anything. You eat like bird seed and water. Like what are you doing? Like you've got to eat more. There are times, Thanksgiving, Christmas, July 4th, I straight up eat and eat. I eat pig out. Like how much, like you guys know whenever you eat a lot, you got to like unbuckle your belt. Like that kind of thing. Like that's the, that's what I do. I think there is room for that in the word of God. But here's the thing. There's two errors that I think we slip into. One I think everybody kind of thinks of. The other that nobody really thinks about. Let me do the one that nobody really thinks about. Viewing food as an enemy. I know a lot of, especially you young ladies, this is a huge struggle with you. Do you view food as, as, as an enemy? You don't see, like, you don't see a dessert as, like, something, like, that's beautiful and that can be enjoyed. You see a dessert as 542.3 calories. And one of the things that we see is that God has actually given us this stuff at varying times to enjoy Which is hard because I know there's some people in our church, you guys keep fantastic, like, let's say, you, you, you keep your body very trim. Health. You do that and you do a fantastic job. But do not fall into the trap of not rejoicing and feasting at various times, knowing that that is not all the time and that is not every day. Because what feasting is, what it is, if you think about it, it is like gold nuggets buried into a black asphalt that we must walk on. That this life is dark and painful. And guess what? Every so now and again, one of the things we do is we bend down and reach for the gold nugget that God has actually provided for us. Why? Because in doing so, what we do is we are preparing and feasting now. We are preparing for the great feast that will be one day. So we can do this. We can slip into one thing by thinking, okay, like, oh, like, like that food is an enemy. It's not an enemy. That he created you for that to enjoy. The other one is gluttony. That's the one I think all of us like first run to. Because here, here, here's essentially what gluttony is. It's actually thinking that every day is a feast. And what happens 
This is, this, this is the trap. This is the deadly trap. What happens is it will naturally dull your tastes for the next life. Why? Because you're constantly feasting in this life. And if I'm constantly feasting in this life, I will not long for the feast that will come. I praise the Lord for some of you guys, because some of you gals out there, maybe some, some of you out there, like, you, like I've seen, like, you guys, like, you've actually talked to this and said, man, like, I, David, I, I am trying to put that, praise, praise to you, keep on. The Lord will give you strength to do so. To the person here who views food as an enemy, the Lord will give you strength to fight that. To the one who battles overeating, the Lord will give you strength. Do not give up in that fight. Celebrate. Feast. Don't do it every day. A feast. Find those four, five, six times a year where you do. And also at the same time realize, remember, I can leave plate I can I can leave food on my plate at the end of the day. Why? Because I know there's a greater feast coming, baby. That you can pick up and eat something. And feast at times. Young guy, young girl maybe who, who struggles. Afraid to eat anything. Because in doing so, guess what? You're actually affirming something. You're affirming that there will be a better feast in heaven. And you're also affirming there will be a day when you get a new body. No longer having to fight the fight. Of seeing somebody in the mirror who actually, what you see is not actually how you really look. You're more beautiful than you, than you think. You, 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 you. But that's not what you see in the mirror. That God calls us to feast. Those of us who don't like to feast, he calls us to feast. Those of us who like to feast every day, he calls us to feast. But he calls us to feast appropriately because in feasting, what we do is we remind ourselves of the great feast that will come. That's pretty stinking cool, isn't it? The other one. This is the most controversial one. Alcohol. One of the things you noticed throughout these. There is lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of talk of wine. I definitely know this is a controversial one in many churches. And because I do not shy away from controversy, what I, I will actually go ahead and address this one. So, I know many of us, I, me included in this one, I actually grew up in, um, in, a, in a Southern Baptist church, and all I heard most of my life that was that alcohol was a sin all the time, all the time, all the time, in every case, okay? I know a lot of people who love the Lord that really, that, that, that do believe that. And here's the thing. If you read certain sections of the Bible, Aiden's got some, uh, some, some verses for us here. If you read sections of the Bible, certain particular sections of the Bible, you would actually come to this conclusion. So, for instance, like uh, Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it, by it is not wise. Now that's a, that sounds like a pretty big condemnation, right? So I mean, naturally a person could read that and say, okay, I just avoid wine, I avoid any kind of alcohol, correct? But here's the problem. When, 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 when I grew up hearing this, I would hear some verses quoted, but one of the things, when we say that we're people who love the Bible here, what we actually are saying is, we don't just like the certain sections of the Bible, we like to read all the Bible that I don't think it's a mistake that two of the most sections that are most not read, I think, by many Christians, actually also paint another side of this, the law and the prophets. So let's take a look at another verse. He's got another verse for us up here. So what does this one say? Um, And if the way is too long for you, so that you were not able to carry the tithe, when the Lord your God blesses you, because it is the place too far for you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there, then you shall turn it Pause. This is the book of Exodus. God's talking about a day when he's going to establish a temple someplace. And here's the thing. If you own a bunch of cows, let me ask you, and you're bringing those to Jerusalem as a sacrifice, how easy is it to get all those cows to go with you like 100 miles? Pretty difficult. So he's like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to trade it in for money. Sell your cows, bring the money. Verse 25, then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord your God chooses, okay? So go to this place, 
and spend the money on whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink. This is what we would probably call today beer, maybe a light whiskey. Whatever your appetite craves. He's like, whatever you like. God's like, whatever you like, I want you to bring this before the Lord. I want you to bring this before me. And you shall eat it there or drink there before the Lord your God and rejoice you and your household. Now that paints a very different picture, doesn't it? How about one more? One of the ones we just saw. In Isaiah 25, on this mountain, the Lord, if we, uh, uh, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine. One of the things that God commonly does in the Bible, he uses alcohol as a reward for his people while at the same time warning them of also the potential dangers of it. And you know what? You know what is so amazing about this? This actually, if you can take a look at it, this is what you should expect. Because if the Bible truly does portray real life, it would affirm something good like this, but it would also at the same time warn you the dangers of it. So we see one of the ways that God rewards his people through the Bible, one of the common images is he gives them wine and strong drink. Not so that they can be drunk, but so that they can enjoy it before him. To enjoy it in a way that our world never could because our world uses it to drown their sorrows. And we use it to celebrate our great God and look forward to our day of great salvation. So one of the things that we see is we see that there's this double sides. There's these two sides. That it can be a great vice which some of you, you grew up in homes where this is, that's what it was. All you have is poor experiences with alcohol. And you know what? I, I'm, I'm sorry. That is, that's tough. That's tough. I'm sorry. That is wrong. I'm sorry for you. That, 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 I cannot imagine the struggle and the pain. And for that reason, you might very well say, you know what, David? Like, I'm not going to drink, drink alcohol the rest of my life because I saw what my dad did whenever he got drunk all the time. And I would say, you are perfectly justified and do that. Go walk, brother. Walk, sister, in that. Some of you, like, you, you know this. And you, and you do drink. And I would say you're like a proud drinker. You're like, and anybody, Christian, who comes along and thinks otherwise, oh, you don't, you don't drink. Man, you need a beer right now. My friend. Humble yourself. Some people have experiences with that that you don't have. And because of that, what they do is they say, you know what? That is great. You can enjoy that. But, 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 but I don't. Some of you maybe have had poor experiences with yourself. And because of that, you're like, David, I'm just not going to touch a drink the rest of my life. Praise the Lord. That's a great thing. Here's one of the great news for you. There will be a day when you can drink again. When you taste the Lord's good vintage. And you will no longer struggle. And I will no longer struggle with it. So what do we do with this, guys? What, what, one of the things we see is we, sir, like, let me ask you. So the gods of the other nations, when, 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 when they wrote this, let me ask you. How many of them do you think told their people to throw parties? I'll tell you, none. The God is actually after, get this, that whenever we serve him and love him with all our heart, what it results in, it results actually in our joy. That God is out to give us his joy. And that is remarkable news. That he's not out here to steal life from you. To rob you from pleasure. There's going to be times in your life where this is a struggle. You're going to feel this. Single guy, single girl, you're going to feel this. Is God robbing me of pleasure? He is not. He offers you life.
I think here's one of the things that we do see. He is calling us out of an isolated life. Maybe there's some of you who you've been here, but one of the things you don't, you don't maybe mingle as much with, with other people in this congregation. I'm going to actually, today, I'm going to call you out of that because you can't party with people that you don't know. Maybe when there are events like that, you're just like, you, you, you're thinking, you know what, I'm more of a, I'm more of a homebody, you know. Let me call you out of that today, my friend. Like there's particular times in the year where as a church we try to actually throw big gatherings. Christmas is one of those, man. Any of, the, any of those who are there for, 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 for last year's, that, that, that was awesome. We do a, kind of like a progressive dinner that goes along the whole whole, whole Dude, make that a priority in your life to be there for that, for that stuff. New Year's Eve, that's where we bust out the champagne and we do toasts to the Lord for what he has done in the previous year. Why? Because we celebrate the moment and also the day that we look forward to when we will actually experience the great feast of heaven. Guys, that we are to be a people who are ready to celebrate. Who use things like food and alcohol in the best of ways. That we are not enslaved to it. We're not enslaved by it. We're not enslaved saying, keep it away. Maybe in the case of food. But we enjoy it. Remembering that there's a better feast coming. Because that's the good news. We await a better feast one day. As I pray that we would be the most celebrating kind of people. Let me pray, guys, and what we'll do is we'll respond. How are we going to respond? We must respond and we sing and celebrate for what our God has done. Father, we thank you. Father, that you have indeed. Thanks for listening in to today's message. For more information about our church, feel free to visit us at calvarybcmoultrie.com. We hope you will join us again next time. Until then, grace and peace.